Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 498 of So You Want to Be a Writer, the podcast that's all about writing and publishing. My name's Valerie Koo. I'm CEO of the Australian Writer Centre and your host. We talk about all things to do with the world of writing, publishing, and how to succeed as an author or writer. So what have you guys been up to this week? I have been, oh my goodness, I've been, I've had a busy week. Uh, Earlier this week, I went to the book launch of the wonderfully talented Petronella McGovern in Sydney. Her latest novel is The Liars, and it's a page turner. And it was so great to see so many current and former students at the launch, including as well as a host of big name authors who came out to support Petronella. Petronella is one of our fabulous presenters here at the Australian Writers' Centre, and I have no doubt that this book, which is her third, she writes psychological suspense and thrillers, is going to be a big success. The next day, the day after that, I headed up north with my travel writing friend, Katrina Lobley. If you're interested in travel writing, do check out her stories. They're often in the Australian because she is an excellent writer and her turn of phrase and the way that she describes things and packs so much information into a beautiful little nugget is brilliant. I think she's one of the best travel writers in the country. Um, Well, we talked about all things travel writing, of course, but also managed to relax and have a seafood platter, which the seagulls then swooped on and ran away with or flew away with, not the whole platter, but things off the platter. Um, And also, you know, we putted around in a boat to various beaches and islands and had a big catch up because we've known each other for a very long time. For those of you who are in my current travel writing class, a big hi to you. I've got some great bonus insights and videos for you this week. And for those of you interested, in travel writing. My next course starts the week of the 12th of September. So that's very soon. It starts during that week. You can join anytime during that week. Uh, It's great to have students from all over the world. We've got someone from Chicago, someone from Canada who are um, learning all about the art of travel writing because it's universal, right? And um, check it out because it's going to be the last one if you're interested for a few months because I will be off traveling. Now, because I was up north during the week, I wasn't able to attend the book launch of Australian Writers' Centre graduate Karen Loon, who completed How to Write a Business Book and several other courses, but she cleverly live-streamed the whole thing. So it was in the Sydney CBD, and uh, she live-streamed the whole thing, so I was able to attend virtually, and it's great to see this book going so well. Her business book is called Fostering Culturally Diverse leadership in organizations. Now, she, even though Karen is originally from Tamworth and Sydney, she was in Singapore for the whole of all the lockdowns and she did most of her courses during that time. And uh, then she was in back in Sydney last week to launch the book and it's already made a splash in the media, including a big write-up in the Sydney Morning Herald. So congratulations to Karen. I love the fact that there are so many of you doing so many different types of books, just absolutely brilliant. Um, Then I did a bunch of awesome podcast interviews, which I cannot wait to release to you, including an author who has been a New York Times bestseller six times, and I have no doubt that her latest book is going to be her seventh. Uh, And on the weekend... Goodness me, I'm ex- I'm exhausted just remembering what I did. Uh, on the weekend, what did I do? I did, oh, on Saturday I did a whole day of painting, um, 
so I felt very artistically productive. I went into my studio and head down, bum up and um, not quite head down, bum up because I stand really for most of it. For those, those of you who don't know, I paint large scale floral blooms and that's my thing. And um, yeah, love flowers. And you can check, check them out on Instagram if you're interested. Uh, and then on Sunday, I spent the day gardening it was very productive also because I got, it was thanks to gardening tips from the most unlikely of places, Candace Fox, who is very kind in, very, very kindly giving me advice on the various plants that um, I, I need to be planting because I've got no idea. I know, right? Weird. Candace, for those of you who don't know, usually writes best-selling novels about murderers and serial killers and criminals and so on. But it turns out she's a keen gardener. Who knew? Now let's move on to our writing tip this week. We've got a great new blog blog post up on the blog, of course, all about how to write a cosy mystery. Regular listeners, I'm getting really into cosies at the moment. Um, Yeah, there's something just cozy about them, (laughs) crime without too much gore. Regular listeners will remember that I spoke with Pamela Freeman back in episode 419 about cozy mysteries, and we took a real deep dive into this genre. Now, of course, I encourage you to go and listen to that episode because Pamela offers so many amazing um, insights and tips about writing cozy mysteries. Her latest book is the a- An A-List for Death. Um, but if you just want to refresh your memory, then luckily for you, Alison Tate has written a blog post with Pamela's top three tips in there. The first tip I think is really important. You have to create a character you want to spend time with. The thing with cozy mysteries is that readers want to read a whole series. So while your character doesn't necessarily have to be super likable, they can't be repugnant, right? They also have to be in a position where they can realistically go to different locations and be complex enough that they can carry the series. So to give you an example, in Pamela's latest book, An A-List for Death, her main character is a journalist. So that journalist has an excuse to go to lots of different places and ask questions and that sort of thing. The reason I think that this is a really valuable tip is that many writers think they have to create the perfect crime or a really interesting mystery. But usually it's the characters we're interested in, even in a crime novel, and especially in a cosy mystery. So really make sure you create a great character. To read the rest of the tips, head to the Australian Writers' Centre blog, or to listen to the episode again, you can find it on our website at writercentercomau slash podcast. And it was episode 419. And of course, I'll put the link to the blog post in the show notes. Let's move on to our competition this week. Our competition carries on what seems to be a bit of a crime theme this week. We have three copies of The Unbelieved by Vicky Petratus. Vicky is the winner of the inaugural Allen and Unwin Crime Prize. When senior detective Antigone Pollard moves to the coastal town of Deception Bay, she is still in shock and grief. 
Back in Melbourne, one of her cases has gone catastrophically wrong, and to escape the guilt and the haunting memories, she'd requested a transfer to the quiet town she'd grown up in. But there are some things you can't run from. A month into her new life, she is targeted by a would-be rapist at the pub and realises why there have been no convictions following a spate of similar sexual attacks in the surrounding district. The male witnesses in the pub back her attacker, and even her boss doesn't believe her. Hers is the first reported case in Deception Bay, but soon there are more. As Antigone searches for answers, she encounters a wall of silence in the town built of secrets and denial and fear. The women of Deception Bay are scared, and the law is not on their side. The nightmare has followed her home. Chilling, timely, and gripping, the unbelieved takes us behind the headlines to a small town world that is all too real and introduces us to a brilliant new voice in crime fiction. So there you go. We have three copies of The Unbelieved by Vicky Petratus. Uh, entries close on the 12th of September. So go to writercenter.com.au slash win and follow the instructions. If you're at that URL in the future, that's writercenter.com.au slash win. Don't worry, there'll be some other fantastic prize there for you to enter. And now, are you ready for the word of the week? The word of the week this week is digerati. That's D-I-G-E-R-A-T-I, digerati. I was very surprised that this one is in the Macquarie Dictionary because it is quite a recent word. It's a plural noun, the digerati, and it means those who work in or are knowledgeable about the fields of digital and information technology. So you could say, as CEO of the popular social media app, she was an established member of the Digerati. Now, obviously, it is a combination of digital with literati in the same way that glitterati is a bit of a combination as well when we're talking about celebrities and that glittering world. All right, there you go, Digerati, and that was the word of the week. If you're enjoying this podcast, you may also like the book that Alison Tate and I have written together called So You Want to Be a Writer, How to Get Started While You Still Have a Day Job. Full of practical tips, motivation and inspiration, it's ideal for anyone who's thinking of dipping their toes into the wonderful world of writing. We've created a blueprint for aspiring writers to follow and it's suitable regardless of whether you want to plunge straight into this new career or if you need to explore it while you're still busy in your day job. Let us hold your hand as you turn your dream into a reality. Buy your copy today at soyouwanttobeariter.com.au forward slash book. Carrying on the suspense theme this week, we have a fantastic writer in residence, Polly Phillips. Stick around also after the interview for more fun facts about the world of writing. Today, I'm talking to Polly Phillips about her latest book, a psychological thriller called The Reunion. Now, I'm really excited to talk to Polly about her writing process. She is originally from the UK, but currently lives in Perth. And her debut novel, My Best Friend's Murder, was released to great success. And now this is her second book, The Reunion. Thank you so much for joining us today, Polly Phillips. Oh, my God, The Reunion. So much to talk about. Congratulations on this book. For listeners who haven't got a copy yet, tell us what it's about. 
It is um, the story of a woman who is given um, the chance to go back to a university reunion. And when she was at university, uh, she started off in the it crowd um, and sort of living her best life with a team of really amazing, or so she thought, friends around her and a, and a hot, gorgeous, successful boyfriend. Um, and something happened to her one night at university, which sent her life spiraling in a direction she didn't want it to go. And she seizes the opportunity to go to the reunion and go back and get payback for the people that she blames for her life going wrong. Now, this is, how, how did you come up with this idea? Did you go to a reunion? Where did this come from? I don't know if I'd be allowed to go to a reunion now. Um, <laughs> I have actually been to two. I, I went to Cambridge, which is where the book is set. Yeah. So um, I had um, lots of rich material to draw on from, from that experience. Um, but I just liked the idea of, um, I suppose, writing wrongs. Um, and gosh, where did the idea come from? Mm. I think just the idea came from toxic friendships, actually, um, which is something I really like to look at. Um, and the idea that you um, wake up one day and realise that um, a lot of time has gone by and you're nowhere near where you thought you'd be. And I think that's something that a lot of people can relate to, even if they don't have a sort of tragedy to overcome. So let's, before we talk more about the book, let's go a little bit into your background. You went to Cambridge. What did you read at Cambridge? And then what subsequent career did you go into before you started writing novels? So I read history um, at Cambridge and um, I always wanted to be a writer or a journalist. And so that's what I did um, as soon as I did a series of um, terrible work placements um, and lots of work experience for free, which is um, generally the way that you get into that industry. And um, my first job out of university was writing for soap operas, um, writing about soap operas in a soap opera magazine. So um, that's why it's kind of particularly exciting to have moved to Australia, the home of Neighbours and Home and Away. I was sort of chuffed <laughs> when that opportunity came up. And um, then I worked for some national newspapers, but all the while hankering after writing this novel, but just not sitting down and doing it for a long time. So what then was the trigger? Because this is your second novel. Um, what was the trigger that made you start writing um, your first novel, My Best Friend's Murder? So I started writing a novel, not, um, not actually My Best Friend's Murder, when my husband got made redundant. And um, the only job that he could get, it was my husband's in oil and gas and there was a big oil crash. Uh, the only job he could get was in Algeria. So I went back to London with our daughter, um, obviously was not that keen to join him in Algeria and it wasn't an option um, just because he was working on a base that wasn't particularly safe. And I had a lot of time on my own in the evenings. My daughter was very small. None of my friends in London had kids. It was quite a lonely experience. And I thought, if I don't take something positive out of it, it's a waste. And I've been talking about writing a book for about 10 years and not done anything with it. So if I don't do it now, I'm never going to do it. Um, so that's when I started writing full stop um, and I started writing another book which didn't go anywhere I sent it out a few times nobody was um, sort of particularly interested in the storyline and um, then I saw on social media something about a friend a friend that I had lost contact with um, it had been a bit of a toxic relationship and the spark fired up and I thought that I would like to write about it. Wow okay so you you you're at home with your daughter, you know, not much going on. You ha have this idea. 
is that where it's, I mean, you just started writing or did you have an idea of where the book was going to go? Are you, you know, someone who has to think about it for a long time or did you just start with a scene and go for it? I actually just started with a prologue um, and just the words came. (laughs) It came flaring out. um, And then actually they've changed quite a lot uh, since I sort of started that rough first draft, which obviously is often the way. Um, But I just really wanted to capture that friendship um, and that sense of rivalry and toxicity Mm. and on the surface everything seems so sort of lovely and idyllic but underneath there's a sort of beating heart of resentment so um the first bit didn't change that much but the story itself got a lot more dramatic brilliant so tell us about this book and the gestation period for this book then give us a little bit of a timeline as to when you got the idea um when you what period like how many months or however long it took to to write the first draft and then um and then what happened after that so I had the idea towards the end of finishing off my first book um so then I had I don't know if you've had this that sort of sense that you're kind of cheating on your established book which is like your long-term relationship a bit like a marriage and this shiny new idea comes along with no problems and it seems so pure and exciting um so I was itching to get started on it and finally finished off all the edits and the proofreading for the first book got cracking on the second book straight away again um I love writing the prologue I always sort of find that that can be a bit of a mission statement for the book so that came quite easily without too much planning just with that kind of central idea um so the prologue without giving too much away um starts with um one of the central characters being strangled and is she gonna get out alive and and who who's got the motivation to do that so and that it gets to- you in straight away. <laughs> oh, my God. It absolutely does. <laughs> oh, thank you. Um, so that bit came very easily without much planning. But then I did realise I had another 80,000 words to go. And <laughs> I'm not confident <laughs> enough to write without a plan. I do need to have these kind of structural points of knowing where I'm going um, so that I don't waffle. So I came up with quite a loose plan um, of the kind of high points and the low points of what's going to happen. Um, that probably took about a month and that was January no it wasn't January sorry it was February um, 2020 Um, so the world was in lockdown Um, although being in Perth where I'm based we um, escaped pretty lightly at that point. It's down there. Exactly exactly (laughs) Um, and then it probably takes me about six months maybe a little bit less to write a first draft it's quite a dirty first draft Um, it will be a bit ragged, but we'll kind of follow those general plot points. And then I give myself a month away from it to try and be a bit more objective when I come back to it, because you sort of finish on that high and it's done and you type the end and you think, oh, it's brilliant. Da, 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 da. And then you reread it and you think, oh, my God, this is just <laughs> terrible. So I need that month to kind of get myself in gear, um, reset, reframe. Um, and then I go back in and kind of attack the edits quite hard. Um, and I work around the school holidays. So I try and make sure that those um, those times when I'm taking a break from the book um, coincide with when I need to be on duty to be sort of full-time parenting. Um, and then I sent it to my agent and she had a bunch of changes. Uh, and then once those changes have been made, it went to my editor. So it's kind of a year long process. Really. Yes. 
So let's go back to the month where you're thinking about it and you're actually thinking about your plot points, your high points, your low points. You you start off with the prologue, which absolutely not only gets the reader in, I can see how, like you read it, you go, and you know I'm going to finish this book and I'm going to finish this book quickly because um, I won't be able to help myself. Uh, so in that month, though, you say that you are a planner. What do you actually do in terms of your thinking? Is this just while you're going about your day and you're thinking about your characters? How do you develop the characters? How do you, do that? like a whole plot point, I mean, a whole story in present day and in the past, because, you know, that's that's what we're looking at, is quite complicated. How did you think of all of these turning points and and, and plot points? Yeah, I think it is as you sort of go about your day. I mean, I do sort of sit there and stare at my desk for hours and spend too long on Instagram and all that sort of stuff. Um, I suppose the nice thing about this book was because it was funneling such a lot of my own university experience and sort of things I saw there and those memories. I could tell myself as I was messing around on Facebook and Instagram that I was sort of technically researching. Um, going down these rabbit holes and seeing what people I'd been to university with had ended up doing um, but then I, I think sort of odd sentences and that sort of stuff um, come to you um, I do a lot of running and um, also walk the dog a lot so it's those kind of moments of being on my own with nothing but company but my thoughts um, that sort of helps crystallize things but I also think that things occur to you even though I had my plan and I tried to be faithful to it and it sort of gives me that security and sort of comfort that I know where I'm going, things will change massively and lots of things change during this book. And I sort of had a couple of those moments of sort of huge revelations. Of course, this doesn't happen. That happens. And of course, this character, um, which are really exciting when they happen um, and they are quite natural and you desperately want them to happen, but you can't manufacture them. So they surprise mm. me each time. So when you're not having revelations and you're just kind of thinking about, well, what's going to happen next? Is it more a case of let's just see where it goes in my head or is it I need to get there and how am I going to get there? You see what I mean? Yes, I do. It's a great question. Um, I think it is a mixture, sort of a classic politician answer. It's a <laughs> mixture of the two. Um, but I, I'd be lying if I didn't say there is an element of crumbs this needs to happen. How can I, particularly when you're working with a dual timeline mm, um, mm. and I was trying to match up because it flips from now and then back and forth, sort of every other chapter. Um, I had to be really careful to make sure that I was sort of following the process to make sure that they married up. So then what happens? Like, has it, does it stay in your head or do you write down and if you, you, you know, write down the, the, the plot points as they come to you, and in what form? Is it just a little script? Is it just a this happens or do you write a mini scene? And what do you write it in, like Word or Scrivener or a, a notebook, a physical notebook? What? Every format. I have, um, I'm, not very, <laughs> I'm not very good with text, so Scrivener is well beyond me. Um, so I don't even really know how to use notes on my phone. So I send myself emails, <laughs> like I have a draft email that I will suddenly write this happens or a sentence or a character or something like that so that's my kind of working notebook um then I I'm a stationary addict so I love going to good old office works and picking up new notebooks like I have one here <laughs> so this is for the next book so it's really dirty because my daughter's been using it to color on um 
and generally word though um but the plan right. sorry you were asking about the plan mm-hmm. so the plan I will write out I will I will draw it on a piece of A4 printer paper so it has to kind of have this big peak sort of look like a children's almost kind of a terrible picture of a, a mountain because oh. you're sort of trying to go oh, up to I that see. climactic um and sometimes so you're, you're, you're drawing that. out the three-act structure kind of thing yes yeah exactly Right, but you're just sort of like writing the plot points on where they are, yes, on on yes. that three X structure on that on exactly. that exactly, exactly. Oh, okay, interesting. <laughs> and so, all right, so you, you've got your outline, which which may change when you then write it. Yeah, um, yep. you've got your outline, and you go, okay, I'm ready to write. So, can you talk us through? when you're writing, um, a typical writing day. Maybe walk us through if you have any particular writing routines or rituals or superstitions or things that you just have to do um, on a typical day and what you typically achieve or aim to achieve in that day. So I'm definitely a morning person. I like to write in the mornings. Um, We have quite a busy household. So um, me, my husband, the dog, the daughter coming and going. So I don't get up early and write but once my daughter is safely at school I will have got everything else out of the way in that kind of hour of sort of making breakfast and making sure the dog's sorted and all that sort of stuff then when I get back from that drop-off I'm ready to write um the very first thing I do (laughs) my ritual is I always make myself a hot chocolate I'm absolutely obsessed by hot chocolate and sugar my entire writing process is fueled by sugar um so I make myself my hot chocolate and then um, I will sit down and start. Um, as I say, I probably do spend a bit too much time messing around on Instagram and Facebook. Um, but once I get into the scene, I will kind of keep my head down. Um, and I'm probably aiming to get, if I haven't got a thousand words done in a, in a writing day, because obviously the day changes depending on where you are in the process, if you're editing, drafting, writing, that sort of thing. But when I'm writing those first writing. or second drafts, um, I want to get a thousand words down. I will feel probably like I've mucked around a bit too much if I haven't. Um, and I generally t- tend to work in chapters. So I will sort of sit down and it will be, you know, I'm trying to do chapter four today, for example. So I will start on chapter four and not stop working until it's finished. And about how long does that take? Does it take you until school pickup time or or do you finish earlier? I think it depends. And I, I don't know about you, but I obviously I find the beginning so exciting and so much fun to write and those you know you can sort of whiz off 1500 words maybe in an hour if you're sort of really racing to get that kind of exciting bit down um and the end is the same yes (laughs) you are zooming you're so excited particularly um the kind of books that I write hopefully are sort of stuffed full of twists and turns so you've kind of got hopefully a nice big reveal that you've set up perfectly ideally um at the end so that is a quick writing process as well that that saggy middle can take mm. longer. Um, so long. So long. Um, <laughs> but so I would sort of say between kind of, I don't know, two, two to sort of four or five hours. Um, and then if I do finish early and I'm still feeling inspired, I will start drafting the next chapter, but sort of in bullet points, you know, this is going to happen and that sort of stuff. Um, but I, I do, I like to 
I like to close down the laptop knowing that I've finished a section. I'm not very good at leaving mm. things halfway through, which I know some people really like to do because it sort of means that they can pick up straight away the next day. But it sort of stays with me and agitates me if I haven't mm. reached a conclusion. So how um, close does the story, in terms of when you're writing and the story rolls out, how close is it to the outline? It, like, is the outline quite tight or do you deviate quite a bit from what you wrote in that month of thinking? I generally, I think I do deviate quite a bit um, because I think that's when the story takes on the life of its own. Um, that's when you're breathing into it and your characters maybe aren't doing exactly, it no longer makes sense for them to do what you've sort of had them theoretically doing. They've developed a bit of a life of their own sometimes. Um, I remember with the reunion, when I finished it, I suddenly had this huge moment of panic when I went back and read the synopsis that I'd sent to the editor who bought it, thinking, oh my God, it's not what I said. What if they don't want it? <gasps> and I actually even asked um, when I sent it to my agent, I did sort of say, I am a bit worried because we had talked about this, that, and the next thing, and it has changed quite a lot. And I was really petrified to read the response, but luckily the editor did like it. <laughs> Let's talk about um, your agent. How did you get your agent? Because a lot of listeners are, are very keen on that kind of um, story. Mm. So I had, um, as I said, been writing this first book that was going to be this historical fiction that didn't go anywhere. So I, I'd made a few loose investigations into getting an agent at that point. Um, and I was based in Dubai then. Um, but when I started my new project, My Best Friend's Murder, um, I submitted it into a competition in Dubai. Um, and I think competitions are really a very helpful, good way to go. Um, because even if you don't place or win, ideally, you'll still get some feedback. And I think it also teaches you about writing to a deadline and teaches you about word count and that sort of stuff. And really kind of tightening up and making your submission as strong as it possibly can be, which is obviously what you're trying to do when you're submitting to an agent anyway. Um, so my best friend's word, sorry, my best friend's murder miraculously won the competition that I had entered it into. Um, it wasn't quite an overnight success. I had entered that competition two years previously and got nowhere. Um, but my best friend's murder won it. The persistence um, pays off. <laughs> exactly. Um, and part of the prize was to sit down with one of the judges who was a literary agent um, and he gave me some really invaluable feedback. Um, that's actually how the book became My Best Friend's Murder, because he said, you've got to have a murder in it. Because at that point, it was just an examination of a toxic friendship. There was no bloodshed. Um, oh. So I met him and I was very keen for him to be my agent. And he did offer me a lot of guidance, but he, um, he was quite busy and he was going away. So I had desperately dashed off the first draft to send to him to hope that he would sign me and um as I said I work around the school holidays so I was desperate to send it off and then sort of get on with that that side of my life and he said oh I'm um, actually I'm going to be away for a couple of months so um don't rush maybe maybe send it in September don't, don't worry about July um and my sort of fragile writing ego felt a little bit rejected and I thought actually I won't put all my eggs in one basket. Um, I started reading some um, amazing online blogs and listening to sort of podcasts that talked about how a writer should try and think of their agent not as a person doing them a favour, as somebody who they will have an equal relationship with. 
Whereas mm. as an aspiring writer, I had that kind of desperate sense of, please, please pick me, please, 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 please. You know, this sort of had all these agents on a huge pedestal. And then I sort of suddenly had this slight shift in mindset when I thought, actually, no, I've got to try and represent my work fairly. And these people aren't, well, if what you've got is, if they want to publish it or help you get it published they're not actually doing you a favor don't sort of think of them as the sort of the cool boy in school that you're sort of plucking up their guts to ask out you know this is an equal thing um so I did I sent it to um five agents not just him um and four of them asked to see a full manuscript because uh, obviously you only send those first three chapters um and then of that four uh, three wanted to sign me which was Fantastic. an amazing feeling yeah yes oh my goodness that's brilliant so let's go back to the the first project was a historical novel yes so that's very different yes. um <laughs> so do you think you want to go back to that genre or have you it's- found your groove with this I, I love writing psychological thrillers. So I think um, that's where my heart lies. Um, I love the fact that um, they give you that automatic structure because there's a sort of whodunit element mm-hmm. to it. So you kind of know how the story has to end, which is very helpful. But there, because the historical fiction was um, going to be based on my grandmother's life, which I think a lot of people are drawn to, um, the sort of amazing lives that our relatives in the war had. Um, so... She was um, she was a spy um, based in Sri Lanka and she met my grandfather there. He was also a spy and they had a very tumultuous um, uh, relationship and um, sort of on the backdrop, set against the backdrop of war in Sri Lanka. Um, so I still feel like there's something there. Um, oh, my God. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't know. Maybe when maybe when I'm resting between books, I might actually um, go back and do that. They're still, so- still tugging on heartstrings. This is now um, out. Uh, does that mean you're already writing? The reunion is now out. So does that mean you're already writing the third one? Yes. Yeah. I'm um, I'm actually writing sort of nearing the end of book three, um, because as you know, there's often quite a lag between mm. when the book is finished. Once the sort of publishing process, you know, that machine has to take over. It can often be sort of up to a year before um, the book comes out. Um, so I'm actually now, I've just started a bit a bit like um, how I told you at the beginning of the process. Um, I've started cheating on book three with book four. Um, <laughs> oh, wow. You're already up to book four. Well, book four, I'm flirting with book four. Yes, yes. You're doing that thinking thing. Yeah, exactly. And is the process the same for each of them in that you do, say, a month of thinking where you effectively create an outline and work out what happens and then you write? No, it's wildly different, actually. Oh. Um, I think just um, the the difference between writing to a deadline and not in terms of with my first book, it didn't it didn't I didn't have a deal when I was writing it. Obviously, it was that kind of debut experience. So I was really able to linger over it and sort of pick it up and put it down. Whereas the reunion had a much tighter deadline because I was writing under Mm. contract. Um, So it was in some ways a much more focused process but alongside the flip side of that focus is can be the pressure um and then now book three just um because I'm sort of in contract negotiations book three has that had that same sort of looser feel to um to the writing process um a bit longer um a bit more sort of fiddling I suppose I think the reunion is probably the cleanest book I've written it Mm. came 
probably the most smoothly. Mm. In terms of the characterizations and the development of the key players, mm. how did you, um, I don't know, I get the sense that these are kind of people that you knew or, pe- or, or composites <laughs> of people that you knew at Cambridge. So in yes. a sense, it wasn't that hard to, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it was more actually having to sort of take out some of their defining characteristics rather than um, create them. Um, mm. But as you say, um, you know, again, legal answer, no, but it was, it was very much a, a composite, as you say. And I think even regardless of what university or school or workplace you're in, I think we often meet the types of people that um, feature in the reunion, that kind of sense of entitlement and self-confidence, I think is kind of common to all locations. Yes, that's why they're so authentic and believable because you you feel like you know someone, (laughs) you know, just like Nick or you know someone just like, you know, whoever, right? So, yeah. Um, yeah. All right. So what was the hardest, well, no, what was the most challenging thing about writing The Reunion and what was the most rewarding? Ooh, good question. What was the most challenging thing? Um, I think possibly the most challenging thing was um Although we were in lockdown in Perth, um, it it was um, no one's was... sympathising with you, you know. <laughs> no, 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 no. They were, they will shortly. Um, I think it was it was quite a hard experience. My my father died during um, the writing of the reunion. Um, uh, he had COVID in the UK, um, oh. and I I wasn't able to leave. Um, Australia to to get to him Mm. um so that was quite um a challenging period um but in that sort of strange way that sometimes challenges sort of reap the biggest rewards I think in in some ways it began to mean even more to me as a book to finish because my dad had been so proud that I went Mm. to Cambridge and it had been a sort of a real high point of his life and um, he really believed very strongly in education um and yeah so he was just so thrilled with me having the chance to go to Cambridge so writing about Cambridge in the end and also he knew how much I wanted to be a writer um, mm. how much I'd wanted to be a novelist so even though he didn't see it on the shelves um I sort of feel like the book is kind of seeped with things that he I mean aside from the sort of scandalous drinking and sort of consent issues I feel like the backdrop is something that he really would have appreciated and so it was it was a really nice feeling to have that reward of finishing it Mm -mm. I have no doubt this is just going to be so ridiculously successful like I said it it you it's sucks you in from the first page for um let's finish with for um aspiring writers who would like to be published Mm. (laughs) like you are one day what are your top three tips to them um I think the first one is a bit of a is probably a bit of a cliche um I, I know that a lot of people say it but it's definitely true and that is resilience perseverance um and learning to deal with rejection I'm counting all that as one I know that is sort of three subsections um but I think even even when you do get your first publishing deal or you sign an agent all of these amazing exciting experiences that we're all sort of completely desperate to have um and very lucky to achieve um there will be rejection along the way 
And I think um, a wise writer friend of mine once said that the sort of the only thing that really separates successful writers from non-successful writers is that sense of perseverance. Mm. Um, So that's point one. Um, Tip two, I think, is the competition element. Um, Entering competitions will definitely hone your skills and often they are um, the kind of thing that will offer you feedback. So you'll know where you're going with something they are generally um, short extracts that they want so if you're not if you're finding it uh, a struggle to fit writing full-time into your day-to-day life just having to produce that short excerpt can really be something that kind of kicks you into gear and gets you started um third and final tip something profound I guess surround yourself by positive writer friends um that's something I've been really fortunate to make on my journey into writing I've made some really amazing um supportive writing friends and when those dark days come when you feel like you're writing into an abyss and um, nobody's going to read what you're doing having those friends who've experienced it will help as well wonderful absolutely wonderful um again congratulations on the reunion this is so good and honestly can't can't wait to see what you do next so thank you so much for your time today polly thank you so much for having me it's been such a joy This podcast is brought to you by the Australian Writers' Centre, a world leader in writing courses. Our hugely popular course, How to Write About Murder, is all about creating more authentic action for your crime or thriller novel. Presented by award-winning crime author Candace Fox, this course covers nine modules of fascinating detail, taking you beyond the police tape to explore what motivates killers and how they go about their business. You'll also immerse yourself in the chase, from the murder scene and autopsy to the investigation that follows. Plus, because it's one of our on-demand courses, you'll get instant access and learn at your own pace with 12 months access to all course materials. You can find out more at writerscentre.com.au slash murder course. I hope you enjoyed that chat with Polly Phillips. I love being able to talk to authors from all over the world and bring their insights to you. Oh, by the way, yes, I would really be grateful if you have 30 seconds to leave us a review or rating on Apple Podcasts or um, whatever your podcast app is. That would really be great because um, it helps us to be more findable to other people who might be interested in the world of writing. Now, fun fact for you. Now, did you know, well, I'm sure you do know that the alphabet that English uses is called the Latin or Roman alphabet. Yep, yeah, A's, B's and C's and so on. And it's used in more than 100 languages around the world. And it is actually the official alphabet in 131 sovereign states. But remember when you learnt, well, well, you may not have learnt Latin at school, but um, when, when it comes to Roman times, there are Roman numerals, you know, the I's and the V's and the L's and the C's and the M's and all that. But what's interesting is that while in English we use the Roman alphabet, we rarely use the Roman numerals. Instead, we use the Hindu Arabic numbers. So weird little mashup there. There you go. Fun fact for you to impress your friends at Pub Trivia. All right. Well, I hope you guys have a fantastic week. Um, Feel free to connect with me on social media. I'm at Valerie Koo, that's K-H-O-O, on Twitter and Instagram, and I'm over at ValerieKoo.com. Of course, you'll find all of the show notes at soyouwanttobeariter.com.au. Thanks for listening, and I look forward to chatting to you again next time.
Thanks for listening to So You Want to Be a Writer. You'll find the show notes at writercentre.com.au slash podcast or sign up for our awesome and often hilarious weekly newsletter at writercentre.com.au slash news where you'll find writing resources, giveaways, competitions and much more. <laughs>